Letter 101 of Moral Letters to Lucilius by Lucius Anias Seneca, translated by Richard M. Gummier. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the Futility of Planning Ahead Every day and every hour reveal to us what a nothing we are, and remind us with some fresh evidence that we have forgotten our weakness. Then, as we plan for eternity, they compel us to look over our shoulders at death. Do you ask me what this preamble means? It refers to Cornelius Seneccio, a distinguished and capable Roman knight whom you knew. From humble beginnings he had advanced himself to fortune, and the rest of the path already lay downhill before him. For it is easier to grow in dignity than to make a start, and money is very slow to come where there is poverty until it can creep out of that. It goes halting. Seneccio was already bordering upon wealth, helped in that direction by two very powerful assets, knowing how to make money and how to keep it also. Either one of these gifts might have made him a rich man. Here was a person who lived most simply, careful of health and wealth alike. He had, as usual, called upon me early in the morning and had then spent the whole day even up to nightfall, at the bedside of a friend who was seriously and hopelessly ill. After a comfortable dinner, he was suddenly seized with an acute attack of quincy, and, with the breath clogged tightly in his swollen throat, barely lived until daybreak. So, within a very few hours after the time when he had been performing all the duties of a sound and healthy man, he passed away. He who was venturing investments by land and sea, who had also entered public life and left no type of business untried, during the very realization of financial success and during the very onrush of the money that flowed into his coffers, was snatched from the world. Graft now thy pears, Melobius, and set out thy vines in their order. But how foolish it is to set out one's life, when one is not even owner of the morrow. <laughs> what madness it is to plot out far-reaching hopes, to say, I will buy and build, loan and call in money, win titles of honor, and then, old and full of years, I will surrender myself to a life of ease. Believe me, when I say that everything is doubtful, even for those who are prosperous, no one has any right to draw for himself upon the future. The very thing that we grasp slips through our hands, and chance cuts into the actual hour which we are crowding so full. Time does indeed roll along by fixed law, but as in darkness. And what is it to me whether nature's course is sure, when my own is unsure? We plan distant voyages and long postponed homecomings after roaming over foreign shores. We plan for military service and the slow rewards of hard campaigns. We canvass for governorships and the promotions of one office after another. And all the while, death stands at our side. But since we never think of it except as it affects our neighbor, instances of mortality press upon us day by day to remain in our minds only as long as they stir our wonder. Yet, 
what is more foolish than to wonder that something which may happen every day has happened on any one day there is indeed a limit fixed for us just where the remorseless law of fate has fixed it but none of us knows how near he is to this limit therefore let us so order our minds as if we had come to the very end let us postpone nothing let us balance life's account every day the greatest flaw in life is that it is always imperfect and that a certain part of it is postponed one who daily puts the finishing touches to his life is never in want of time and yet from this want arise fear and a craving for the future which eats away the mind there is nothing more wretched than worry over the outcome of future events as to the amount of the nature of that which remains our troubled minds are set aflutter with unaccountable fear how then shall we avoid this vacillation in one way only if there be no reaching forward in our life if it is withdrawn into itself for he only is anxious about the future to whom the present is unprofitable but when i have paid my soul its due when a soundly balanced mind knows that a day differs not a whit from eternity whatever days or problems the future may bring then the soul looks forth from lofty heights and laughs heartily to itself when it thinks upon the ceaseless succession of the ages for what disturbance can result from the changes and the instability of chance if you are sure in the face of that which is unsure therefore my dear lucilius begin at once to live and count each separate day as a separate life he who has thus prepared himself he whose daily life has been a rounded whole is easy in his mind but those who live for hope alone find that the immediate future always slips from their grasp and that greed steals along in its place and the fear of death a curse which lays a curse upon everything else thence came that most debased of prayers in which Massinus does not refuse to suffer weakness deformity and as a climax the pain of crucifixion provided only that he may prolong the breath of life amid these sufferings fashion me with a palsied hand weak of foot and a cripple build upon me a crooked-backed hump shake my teeth till they rattle all is well if my life remains save oh save it i pray you though i sit on the piercing cross there he is praying for that which if it had befallen him would be the most pitiable thing in the world and seeking a postponement of suffering as if he were asking for life i should deem him most despicable had he wished to live up to the very time of crucifixion nay he cries you may weaken my body if you will only leave the breath of life in my battered and ineffective carcass maim me if you will but allow me misshappen and deformed as i may be just a little more time in this world you may nail me up and set my seat upon the piercing cross is it worth while to weigh down upon one's own wound and hang impaled upon a gibbet that one may but postpone something which is the balm of troubles the end of punishment 
Is it worth all this to possess the breath of life only to give it up? What would you ask for, Massinus, but the indulgence of heaven? What does he mean by such womanous and indecent verse? What does he mean by making terms with panic fear? What does he mean by begging so vilely for life? He cannot ever have heard Virgil read the words, Tell me, is death so wretched as that? He asks for the climax of suffering. And what is still harder to bear, prolongation and extension of suffering. And what does he gain thereby? Merely the boon of a longer existence. But what sort of life is a lingering death? Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or letting out his life drop by drop, rather than expiring once for all? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly tumors on chest and shoulders, and draw the breath of life amid long-drawn-out agony? I think he would have many excuses for dying, even before mounting the cross. Deny now, if you can, that nature is very generous in making death inevitable. Many men have been prepared to enter upon still more shameful bargains, to betray friends in order to live longer themselves, or voluntarily to debase their children, and so enjoy the light of day which is witness of all their sins. We must get rid of this craving for life, and learn that it makes no difference when your suffering comes, because at some time you are bound to suffer. The point is, not how long you live, but how nobly you live. And often this living nobly means that you cannot live long. Farewell. End of letter 101 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.